with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. I am your host, Scott J. Allen, and this is Phrenesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. Now, I am a professor of management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. In addition, I'm a husband and father of three teens. Now, this is a family endeavor. Will played the intro, Kate voiced the intro, and who knows, you may hear from Emily a little later. I'm also an author, entrepreneur, speaker, and co-founder of the Collegiate Leadership Competition. I love to travel, explore new places with family, and learn from others. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion about all things leadership and followership, if we're honest. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. I am proud to share a few updates. According to Listen Notes, Phronesis is listed as among the top 3% of podcasts in the world because of you. So thank you. In addition, the podcast has two sponsors. First, Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ila-net.org. My second sponsor is the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. At Bowler, we offer several advanced degrees and MBAs, and I'm confident that there's one that will fit your location, interests, and timeline. In fact, our online MBA is ranked as the number one in Ohio and number nine in the United States. We offer international study tours, a contemporary and forward-looking curriculum, and access to senior leaders and flagship organizations. Learn more at business.jcu.edu. You can find links to both sponsors in the show notes. Now, if you like what we're up to, please hit subscribe so you can stay current as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others, friends, colleagues, leaders, teams, students, and others you think will benefit. And now, today's show. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Phronesis Podcast. Thank you so much for checking in wherever you are in the world today. I have two longtime friends right now, and I'm so excited for this conversation. We have Dr. Susan Komavez, and we have Dr. Julie Owen. Susan is Professor Emerita in the Student Affairs Graduate Program at the University of Maryland College Park, where she taught until her retirement in 2012. She is past president of CAS and ACPA and served as vice president of two institutions. She is the co-author or co-editor of 16 books, including Exploring Leadership, Leadership for a Better World, Handbook for Student Leadership Development, and How Academic Disciplines Approach Leadership. She and her research teams developed the Multi-Institutional Study of Leadership and the Leadership Identity Development Grounded Theory. She is co-founder of the National Clearinghouse for Leadership Programs and the founding editor of the Wiley New Directions for Student Leadership series. She has consulted in leadership or student affairs in Canada, China, Japan, Taiwan, and Qatar. She is the 2022 recipient of the ILA Lifetime Achievement Award. Her latest book in development with co-editor Julie Owen is A Research Agenda for Leadership Learning and Developing in Higher Education with Edward Elgar Press, bringing an equity-minded perspective to interrogating and redirecting leadership education research. I think I just said leadership probably 72 times there in your bio, (laughs) Susan. And I also have Dr. Julie Owen. She, her 
She is the Associate Professor of Leadership Studies at the School of Integrative Studies, George Mason University, where she coordinates the Leadership Studies major and minor and is affiliate faculty with Women and Gender Studies and the Higher Education Program. Her most recent books are We Are the Leaders We've Been Waiting For, Women in Leadership Development in College, and A Research Agenda for Leadership Learning and Development Through Higher Education, co-edited with Dr. Susan Komovez. Owen identifies as a white, currently able, middle-class cisgender woman working in the academy. She is committed to using her voice to advocate for positive social change, leading to more equitable leadership for all, and to consider how identities and social power shape practice. Her research explores the intersections of leadership, identity, and women's adult development, as well as the scholarship of liberatory leadership teaching and learning. To the two of you, thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate the two of you. Maybe each of you can share a little bit more about you for listeners. Susan, would you like to start us off today? Well, it was wonderful to hear all those things you said. And retirement is great. I have to say now, first phase of retirement was doing more with leadership education. So in some of those books and the things that happened then. But now I'm entering after 11 years of retirement, uh, really meaning it when I say it. So this book was the last one and no more books after this. But I also <laughs> realized that 50 years ago, this summer, I came across a photo, 50 years, you know, puts you think about perspectives like that when you are retired. So that era in time really reminded me of how inclusion is so important in the work that developed in leadership education for me, women's issues, civil rights issues, the things happening in the 60s and 70s. So it's been a pretty reflective time to be retired and great to be doing this about the last book with you. Well, Susan, it's good to have you here. Thank you so much. And Julie, what else do the listeners need to know about you? Well, first, I want to say something about what Susan said, but that picture of you, Susan, typing your dissertation on a typewriter was, I was like, oh my gosh, you should get two PhDs for that, for having to use a typewriter <laughs> to create your masterpiece. It was amazing. Well, I also want to just honor how I know Susan, which was, she was my doctoral advisor at the University of Maryland. She didn't know that she was going to be my lifelong mentor and advisor. <laughs> I still I stick to her like glue, you know, so I'm very appreciative um, that Susan puts up with me all this time and invites me to do these really cool projects with her. I did not know this was going to be her last book. So I had said yes, because I say yes to everything Susan will ask me to do. Um, it was always, always valuable, always meaningful, but it became especially felt really important, right? When I learned that fact that it was her, her last book, as you said, so far, we'll see she's never realized in all this time is I was the one stalking her. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what brought the two of you to this book project? How did, what was the genesis of this? Well, there's a long story and short story. I think I will tell the slightly longer version on us, Julie, but Edward Elgar Press contacted me about their research agenda series that they had started and wanted to do a book on developing leadership or leadership development through higher education is what they called it. And I thought, well, that could be my last book. The field at this moment in time, mark the moment, 2021, 2022, was really gelling and coalescing and wonderful to see the bodies of scholarship and the development of elements of leadership education, understanding all those nuances. And then I thought, but I don't want to do it by myself. I've never liked doing that. Collaborating is more important. And who to better collaborate with on this topic than Julie Owens? So I called Julie and then Julie said to me, you know, Susan, they already asked me and I said, no. I went, what? 
<laughs> wonderful. But she said to you, I will say yes, we will do it. So Elgar got a twofer. They got the two people they asked to do the book without knowing that was going to happen. But the fun, very fun thing to know that I never have asked them doing this podcast reminds me I should of why they picked that topic. I wonder how it got into their awareness that leadership education through higher education was an important thing to explore with a research agenda. So that'll be on my list of things to do after this podcast. But it was a chance to explore this field of leadership education that had gelled and had shape and had scholarship and and time to re-examine it with a critical lens towards social justice, social identities, things that we maybe were taking to for granted or need to do better. So great opportunity to do something at the right point in time. Awesome. Awesome. Julie, anything you want to add? Well, and I haven't shared this with Susan, but Susan, I keep thinking they asked John Dugan first and he referred them to us. So I feel like <laughs> I feel like we can probably keep tracing this back. But it was interesting because when Susan approached me, the reason I said no, I was like, well, we already have all these agendas in the field. And some of them um, are more recent and really critical. So we have the CAS leadership standards that are recently updated, ILA, the general principles and guiding questions. And then Tony Andonoro and Kristen Skendall had just um, put out the National Leadership Education Research Agenda, which explicitly linked leadership and social justice. So I was like, we already have this. But Susan had a vision that I did not have, which was we need something that further scaffolds those existing agendas and actually shows how to bring critical research to um, the good questions that were posed in those agendas. So actually, it's like, oh, we really need this second complement, like this complement to what's already out there. There is a need for this volume. And um, so I'm so glad we had to do this and thinking about how do we actually enact these agendas that exist out there um, and getting really specific about tracing um, the history of how people research these things and how they might do so moving forward in critical and emancipatory ways. So, Well, so how is the book organized? How did you, I mean, that sounds wonderful that you're kind of, you have these these different bodies of work in mind, and then you kind of begin to think about this contribution and how to, in some ways, as I understand it, bring some of those other pieces together, correct? Yes. And we organized it into four parts because we wanted to give life to, as we've been discussing, the elements that exist or that we think should be explored in leadership education. The beginning section is on the context of leadership higher education and the framing of elements in the book, like the uh, social justice agenda that we think is important to bring to this and international perspectives on leadership that can fit into that. It takes a very Western approach. The book is is designed for programs that we know best, but it has translatability to others with a critical lens. But then the next big section is on understanding the leader and leadership development. So both the individual student, because that's how higher it is organized, uh, but also teams and other collectives. And so it has to take a multi-level approach to be doing leadership development. Mm-hmm. And too much is done on entity work and not on that relational uh, process group related work. And then we have a large section that we call leadership education that explores what research is known uh, about leadership, learning about disciplinary perspectives in leadership education, the design and impact of various leadership programs, pedagogical practices, particularly seen through a liberatory pedagogy lens and leadership educator roles, identities, preparation. So it explores what's known, what needs to be known, what needs to be done in those areas, and then ends with a call for action for critical and innovative research. So it explores classic and emergent approaches to research, uh, as well as then some special commentary from a group of 
new career scholars that we, Julie will share more with you about how we embrace them and they brought life to this project. And then some recommendations on advancing the scholarship. But it, we tried to differentiate then within that elements that need to be, have research done in their own right. And each of the content chapters, we asked to approach a template kind of approach with the scope of the constructs, the research findings that are already established, what gaps and tensions are seen in those. And that particularly brings a critical theory kind of approach to those gaps and tensions and then recommendations for a new agenda. So readers, particularly practitioners who want to improve practice, can do it from an evidence-based approach and see how they could contribute. And researchers, grad students, uh, leadership educator research might get new ideas from this research agenda our authors are proposing. And also, some of the things that are really, I thought were very powerful in our process, so Susan really covered the content very well, is that Elder required a, a multi-level peer review, which is very cool. So all of the authors read other people's chapters, which I think, especially when their chapters are still in process, you go back and revise and we were inspired by each other or pushed in certain ways when we read other people's chapters. So that was cool and like an extra lift for the author. So we thank all of them for doing, for doing, can you write this and also read and comment on other things? But to me, what Susan mentioned, the coolest part for me was I had just written the, we are the leaders we've been waiting for women in leadership book and had realized the limits of my knowledge and ex- expertise, Scott, as, as, as wise leaders do. Um, and I brought on board a group of critical friends, which were, um, a, early career scholars who would say, you you say you're being intersectional there, but you're not. And, you know, sort of gently poking at me. And so Susan was so kind of like, let's do a similar co-inquiry process with this book. After all, agendas are for like, who's going to inherit the agenda that we set, right? Those of us who are towards the end of our careers, which I now include myself in that camp, I'm closer to the end than I am to the beginning, that we, you know, we're, I can ask questions, but people, we need younger folks to push them forward and enact them. So they really did an amazing job looking at the manuscript with an eye towards decolonizing leadership, centering justice, equity, and inclusion. And they really focused down on power in leadership scholarship. Uh, manifestations of power and leadership, including like what is expertise and who has expertise, right? Like that's a juicy question who we've co-opted along the way. Like they were, you know, they, I highly recommend everybody read, if you read one chapter, chapter 13 in the volume is really, will really push everyone forward and quickly because I can, we can, I want to give a quick shout out to just say their names, but Lauren Irwin, Danielle Reynolds, Adrian Bitten, Sherelle Hassel-Goodman, Trisha Tag, and Nick Fusilier. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Susan and I owe them a profound debt of gratitude for making this better and more inclusive. So what are some key takeaways from, from the volume that you kind of maybe even surprised the two of you as you were working on this piece of literature. Yes, I think many things even solidified for us as this emerged. One was that the emergent field of leadership education does have definable elements. There is a body of scholarship and it shaped the construct of a leadership educator. There's much to be celebrated. There's a a complexity now to doing leadership education in an intentional way that we wanted to bring to life through the organization of the book and the content. I think the second thing is that research needs to interrogate past methods and finding and meaning and shape future scholarship in a much more inclusive way that would advance equity and inclusion and justice and shape practice and further clarify expectations that in turn help shape new leadership theory. So we need to bring it in, bring it alive, study it, see what does or doesn't work in those new methods. So currently, another learning was leadership educators have to step up too. This isn't just for researchers, but we've got to examine as educators our 
practices, implicit and explicit approaches, and really ask questions like, what's working and for whom? Then ask what data, what understandings are needed to reshape what we do? And then ask, make changes, and then ask, do those approaches work? And for whom? And this is a cycle. So that assessment cycle always needs to be asking the for whom question. I think another awareness for me, particularly being a student affairs scholar all of my career too, is that there's a large body of work on college student development, social identities, cognitive development, psychosocial development to incorporate in how leadership is learned and enacted. These are bodies of knowledge that we need to merge together. And particularly faculty doing research in other disciplines turn to the college student uh, development literature to help make meaning out of what you think you're finding in your research. It adds meaning and layers of complexity to use that body of work. The other awareness was that multi-level analysis is absolutely imperative. We just can't keep doing entity studies about the leader We've got to engage in relational studies about the group, the team, the organization, and look at that multi-level approach. And that's where process, leadership as process emerges. But there's much more work needs to be done, and particularly leadership education. How do we educate groups and organizations about what's going on in their leadership? We still are pretty focused on the individual. One of the things when we were thinking about how do we summarize this book, you know, the last chapter, we certainly like, what about, remember empowering and constraining beliefs from way back and rethinking leadership, that document back in the day. What are the empowering, you gotta start to see their empowering, constraining beliefs that shape leadership education research. And so it was fun to sort of go through and trace some of those, that sort of big picture ideas that may be constraining us in ways we didn't even know. And some of them were like Western bias in leadership education research. We, we hear a lot about that with some of your guests on here, um, individualistic and leader-centric approaches. We don't pay enough attention to contextual and systemic forces and really see almost this shift from psychological to sociological approaches to the study of leadership. We have narrow and reductionist understandings of identity and like and then, of course, the big one, quantitative bias is all throughout. Like there's a still we sort of elevate quantitative studies over what many people do these days, which is sort of the power of narrative and story and more qualitative research. So there's a, a greater depth. There's a there's a holistic perspective that is just looking at this from so many different perspectives that I think it's a fuller picture than potentially how we've understood this topic. I mean, even as I think about finishing my dissertation in 2006, the words that just came out of your mouths would have been just mind-boggling in 2005 when we were just reading Bass and Avolio. <laughs> and that wasn't bad. That was incredible stuff. And it's right. But I mean, there's just such a, a greater depth of what's being explored right now. So true. I mean, I really feel like anybody who picks this up, anybody who's in the dissertation process will find myriad of questions and things left to explore. To me, one of the most exciting things about being in the field of leadership is that there's always new horizons and we're sort of always reimagining ourselves. So I, I, I feel that very much what you said, Scott. So how might people use or apply the volume? What are you thinking? I mean, if you, you've alluded to this a little bit, but how could people apply their work to the volume? I imagine anyone who's, as you just mentioned, anyone who is working on their dissertation or young in their career. I mean, I imagine there are avenues here ripe for establishing a research agenda or avenues ripe for educators to work to begin thinking about how is some of this content implemented in the classroom? Am I on the right path here? <laughs> I think you just said it. I, I think... <laughs> 
I think for the redundancy of it, I would say we would hope that practitioners would learn from this to ask better and deeper questions about the design of the work that they're doing for leadership, learning and development, which is the title of the book, so that it's more intentional, but that they would ask questions about and interrogate their own practices and learn to do that by reading the way the authors did that in these chapters. Hmm. Yes, and I would say the process itself could be modeled too. So like I, this idea of inviting critical friends to speak truth to whatever you're working on or give different lenses and perspectives, I can't overstate the value of that. And I think that could be a program or it could be whatever kind of good coaching, whatever kind of leadership you're part of, people could benefit from that. So. I think too, I, I know when of all those years of graduate teaching that there was a joke or a meme that said, you know, you're a graduate student when you look at the references before you even read the chapter. <laughs> right. And one of the remarkable things in a, a book that turned out good like this is the references are so rich with resources one would turn to. For example, a lot of the qualitative methodologies that Julie was alluding to, someone would have to search out on their own. But in this book, those are all overviewed in a chapter on engaging these kinds of methods. And therefore, you're referred to resources that do that. So it would help that researcher jumpstart their agenda on methodology to get a book like this that does an overview of those. Well, and something I've loved about the, this project, just the, the Frenesis podcast, is that it constantly keeps me in a place of, of reflection. And I'm constantly having new insights as I'm talking with, with others. What were some insights? And I imagine this is a similar process with a book. What insights did you have, personal insights, as you worked on this project? What comes to mind there? Well, I had several. One was Ralph, my husband told me, I can't believe you're buying more books still, but I had to buy lots more books to really understand the critical process in research. And I learned a lot from that. But one thing that was affirming that I learned, this may go back to your comment, Scott, that in 2005, you wouldn't have called some things you knew that existed in 2006. Some of it is when your work is gelling and seems to be going in a good direction, later you find people have a name for that. You just didn't know it at the time. So I felt kind of affirmed that the co-creating of knowledge process that I've always used as a grad faculty member really enjoyed that process is really a liberatory pedagogy because that co-creating is a shift in the power dynamic and that knowledge is being created by people from all of our awarenesses of what meaning it has for us. But to call it liberatory pedagogy, I would probably not have known to say. I did it with Freire's work as that came into my awareness certainly years ago, but I, that was meaningful. Another is um, the affirmation that all the work that I've tried to do in my life has been around this multi-level analysis being essential. The relational leadership model, when we did it, is a process model. Social change model, the ensemble that developed that, has the individual, the group, and the community dimensions of how leadership needs to be uh, engaged and developed. And so it was, it's affirming to see that those multi-level approaches have been a theme for me, but we might not have used those words at that time as we were presenting that. Julie, how about you? My big personal insight is I want to be like Susan and be the world's best lifelong learner. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine, you know, having been being in retirement and being like, I'm still pushing forward. I'm still learning. And it's truly an amazing to witness. And I, um, I, it's just sort of, it's like, I want to embrace that in my life. So I don't know if I told you that Susan, so I'm going to publicly embarrass you and tell you that, but, but it was, it's just really cool that we don't ever rest in our laurels. Right. So we're a reminder to do that. And then I think just this idea that leadership is about social construction and there are many stories most often told, right? So how do we surface those stories that are less often told? 
I've been doing more of my reading about epistemic justice and epistemic injustice and how certain kinds of knowing are privileged. And I think in leadership, especially we, we privilege certain kinds of knowing and there's so much indigenous wisdom and other kinds of wisdom out there to learn from about how we even ask the questions. So I think that's where I'm going. I mean, so well said. The first part for sure about Susan, because Susan, I mean, it's it's incredible. The decades of work and contributions that you've made, not only in developing people and scholars, but in the the output and the work that you've done, the contributions to the field. So, I mean, that it's such a beautiful modeling of staying curious and productive and and continuing to learn. Because to your point, <laughs> Ralph said, do we need all these new books? <laughs> I hope my wife is saying that. <laughs> but it, it's, you know, there's so much to learn. And and each one of us are, are works in progress and hopefully never finished in our endeavors. It's just so multifaceted. And, and again, I, I don't necessarily have words for it yet. And I wish I did, but it just seems like the depth from which you're pulling is just a greater whole than a conversation I've, I've, I've been in recently. Thank you. Well, I would like to know what the two of you, what's caught your attention recently. It could be something you've been streaming, listening to. It could have to do with leadership. Maybe it has nothing to do with leadership, but what's caught your attention that listeners might be interested in? Julie? I'm so excited that you asked this question. <laughs> Plus, it's also my favorite part of your podcast when I listen back to phone uses. So I sometimes zoom at the end, but I don't have a lot of time to find out what people are listening to. Um, I have input as a strength. So I want to hear, you know, I want, all the, I want all the sources. But I just watched something. It's been a long time since I watched something that made me like stop doing everything else I was doing and sit, focus for like two and a half hours. The Little Richard documentary, Little Richard, I Am Everything. It was on CNN. I think it was at Sundance this year really trace the black queer origins of rock and roll. And like, I would came away being like little Richard invented rock and roll and Elvis and others sort of appropriated it. And they show these cringy, like Pat Boone singing Tutti Frutti in 1951 versus what little Richard really intended. And there's a fabulous backstory. I won't spoil be a spoiler, but there's a great backstory about that song, Tutti Frutti. Um, but really they trace it all the way to little Nas X and like how queer voices and black queer voices have been part of really originators and how they're appropriated. And then I, I can relate to leadership. I mean, I actually was thinking about this podcast and like, you know, that some of what we've been uncovering in leadership too, what voices who had all, all kinds of privilege sort of took stories that existed and put them forward and how we can start to rectify that or revisit that or even ask. So I, there's some good Zena Sharman's blog, Queering Leadership, and there's been some Queering Leadership stuff in Joel. So anyway, that's where my brain has been, but highly recommend. It's just entertaining and you're dancing by the end. And then also like, you know, tragic in some ways too, you know, that he never really got the recognition potentially that he could have in his lifetime. So that's mine. <laughs> that's a good one. I've never explored Little Richard. I mean, it's on CNN, huh? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And they showed it a couple weeks ago. So I don't know if it's still streaming, but okay. Yeah. It was an outstanding documentary. I agree with you. And I remember Pat Boone singing Tutti Fruity. Oh, gee. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I, was I think, Susan, you were writing your dissertation on the typewriter, right? Well, uh, that's another story. I was writing my dissertation when the Watergate hearings were on. Butterfield said, the tapes will show. And I went streaming out of the apartment, shouting down to the pool of the graduate student complex I was in, there are tapes. And everybody went running back to their apartments to listen to Watergate because it was on tape. And we now knew it was. 
There are great memories of typing a dissertation. That is one of them. But I have to say, and I'm going to repeat again, because I think Julie does marvelous work. And her book, We're the People We've Been Waiting For, is just outstanding and should be in every women's leadership course. But I'm, I think it's a marvelous book. Julie also has the most recent new New Directions for Student Leadership series issue out on examining the leadership identity development in a broader way. So that research that we did 20 years ago that keeps living, Julie and others and her colleagues are now taking it to new levels of analysis and into that broader field of leadership identity development. I really recommend that. We've been streaming everything in the world and you can find leadership lessons in everything, but we've watched all of Yellowstone and its various spinoffs. So every single for 1883, 1923 and the Yellowstone series have marvelous lessons and good and bad about how leadership is enacted. And in this case, in the context of different times in the United States, I mean, quite interesting to see it as a time context study of leadership. Wow. Now, have the two of you watched The Bear? Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Outstanding. I mean, there's so many like that. You could yeah, that's outstanding. I have not, but I've been told to, right? <laughs> That is a Barbie movie. The Barbie movie, the students are like, they came to my window leadership class. Is class about the Barbie movie? I'm like, no, but we will talk. (laughs) Every paper has been about the Barbie movie, but yeah. (laughs) Well, yes. I mean, again, if your eyes are wide open, there's so much that you can see literally right in front of your eyes that there's just so much to consume right now. And, and, and as always so much to learn. And I love talking with the two of you because I hear new words. I hear new phrases that I say, you know what? I need to go explore this. I wasn't aware. I didn't know. And so I'm excited to explore this volume and I appreciate your work, your contributions. And thank you. Thank you so much for stopping by today and sharing this. For listeners, there are so many links in the show notes. You can't even imagine. (laughs) And we will put those links in the show notes and you can explore on your own. And uh, as always, thanks everyone for checking in. And Susan, Julie, thank you so much for your incredible work. Really, really appreciate you. Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) Thank you, Scott. Thanks for the invitation. (laughs) I am thankful for the two of you. Be well. Okay, for me, the practical wisdom in this conversation is a couple things that I have on my mind. First, Dr. Susan Komovez, just curiosity for decades, an insatiable curiosity for this space. And she's writing with one of her former students, just an incredible mentor. So modeling that curiosity, modeling that mentorship. And when I think of Susan and Julie, I think of two individuals that are staying on the cutting edge of the thinking and continuing to explore nooks and crannies, turning over rocks, looking at things with a critical eye, and really trying to better understand this thing called leadership. So to Julie and Susan, thank you so much for joining me for that conversation. Just awesome. Great job. And, you know, a couple other things. One, first... Do you have November 7 through 10 on your calendar? International Leadership Association Conference 2024, Chicago, Illinois. Please put that down. Second, I have a newsletter. And that newsletter is designed to help cut through the noise. I've been seeing a lot of memes on LinkedIn that are just super simplistic. And they have like 10,000 likes. How do we 
further the understanding of leadership among individuals. And this is designed to help get some content into the hands of practitioners, students, scholars, that uh, is a little more advanced in how we're thinking about leadership, because it's not that simplistic. Things like leaders never follow. (laughs) Yes, yeah, they do sometimes. So be well, everyone. Take care. And as always, thank you so much for checking in. You have just finished another episode of Practical Wisdom for Leaders with Scott Allen. To contact me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and LinkedIn. So let's connect. Now, if you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. One final nod to our sponsors, the International Leadership Association and the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.